because we value life, um, we support the crisis pregnancy centers and one in particular in our area because we want beautiful children like this to have a chance at life. We don't want to see their lives prematurely terminated. They have potential, God-given potential. We sympathize with ladies in distress who become pregnant under less than ideal circumstances and wonder about birthing a child and raising a child and how's it going to be done. It's one thing to be against abortion, and I think that the Bible would instruct us to be uh, against it. But it's another thing to provide an alternative and a good option for ladies in distress, and that's what the Crisis Pregnancy Center does. It's quite wonderful, and we support it. And it's become our custom each year on Mother's Day to hand out to those who care to have one these little baby bottles, and then we ask you to hold on to it and bring it back on Father's Day. We hand it out on Mother's Day. We collect it on Father's Day. It's kind of fitting. And we ask you to put your spare change in it if you care to put more in it than that. That's entirely up to you. And you could do that if you'd like by helping yourself to one or more of these baby bottles today. They're contained in various places around the room. Just help yourself to them. And you can bring them back on any Sunday, but particularly on Father's Day. That's when we will conclude our project. And then we bring these baby bottles to the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and we will receive a tally Last year, I don't remember the exact amount, but I know uh, our offering from our three classes exceeded $9,000. It's an overwhelming, generous offering by our class, and it was so well used and so appreciated by the workers at the Crisis Pregnancy uh, Center. So I'd like to encourage this is a good thing to do with your kids, your grandkids. Let them see you putting money in this so that we can do something to help needy ladies go full term. Give the baby up for adoption if that's the best alternative or keep the baby, that kind of thing. So anyway, um, Father's Day is when we'll collect. Please help yourself to those. Well, I think those are the announcements. Um, Brother Chuck has taken us into James around chapter 2, the first few verses. But I'm going to ask you to back up because I neglected, we neglected two verses in James chapter 1. I was given that assignment a few weeks ago. But I got distracted, and uh, I got upset about a few things. In the last hour, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I threw down my microphone. And look at it, it's still working, so isn't that great? The, the media team was going to order me one in rubber, um, but no need to. In the last hour, some wiseacre <laughs> in the class <laughs> purchased this. Where in the world did he get it? He said, I got it on Amazon. You can get anything. Well, would you look it up under uh, equipment for hot-headed Jews? Or, I mean, <laughs> how do you get that? Anyway, uh, so we're going to go back and take a look at James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 today. That's what we neglected to look at last week. Great verses. Look what it says, uh, verse 19 of chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren. James is writing to fellow believers, and he is saying they know something. When you read a statement like that, you have to ask the question, what is it that they know? In order to answer that question, you have to back up one verse to verse 18. I'll read it to you. Verse 18 uh, says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by, by the word of truth, 
James is telling them, you know this. You know you were in darkness, but God brought you forth. How? By the word of truth. You didn't get redeemed by virtue or by pedigree or even by sheer force of will. The vehicle God used to save you was the word of truth. And James is saying, this you know. Now, in light of that, this is what he says next. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So that's a really, really oft-used verse uh, applied in a general way, and we're going to do that. But first, let's make sure we're looking at it in context. Here's the context. First, James is reminding persecuted believers that they've been brought forth by the word of truth. They heard of their sin and of a Savior who they who they by faith claim to be their own, Jesus. It's the word of truth that saved them. Therefore, James is saying, be quick to hear it. This is an exhortation for folks to render the right response to the word of God because it's the word of God through which they have been brought forth. Brought forth from what? Well, from darkness to light. And James is saying, you know this. And if the word of God did that for you, you need to be quick to hear it. In so many words, James is saying, pay attention to Scripture. Read it. Study it. Memorize it if you choose to. Above all, obey it. Don't take it lightly. It's the word of God. Uh, Folks, one of the greatest privileges, I know you will agree, we experience in the Christian life is to be able to access the very thoughts of God in Scripture. He has not withheld what he values and what is important to him and what he thinks of us and what his plans are. They're housed in Scripture. And so James is saying, be quick to hear it. Run to it. Give it your attention. So I want to take your time to do what I've done from time to time just to give you an idea how you might read the Bible. So for this... um, Will someone open their Bible to any book of the 66 books you want? Just, just anyone, then just shout out what, what book you, you have chosen to open to. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to say that again. Oh, Psalms are good, Diane. So, um, c- Diane, could you open up to any one of the Psalms you want to and then let me have your Bible? Just for, unless you've got some top secret information written in there. It's Okay. Okay, thanks, Diane. I'll give it back, I promise. Yes. (laughs) Boy, Diane, this is like new. This this is like new, Diane. It looks like it's never been used. Okay, thanks. So here's what I want to show you. So Diane opened up here to uh, Psalm 36. Look at these goofy spectacles, but I can't see. So here's how I read. Transgression... And then I stop and I pick up my head. This is the art of reading the Bible, lifting up your head from it. Stroking your chin if you need to. (laughs) You start thinking, transgression. What does it mean? It's not a good word. It's a negative. It's kind of another word for sin. Transgression. Something I'm familiar with, something God has never done. Now I look back. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. I, I pick up my head again. I say, yeah, God, there's, there's something in us. 
transgression speaks to the ungodly. Uh, oh God, and such was I, apart from your redemptive work. Even now, transgression still has the capacity to speak to my heart. It's like it beckons me to come its way. The ungodly has ears to hear the call of transgression. The godly do better at ignoring it. And then I may pause and I may say, oh, God, I still have this inclination. Would you please strengthen me so that I would listen to you and not the voice of transgression? Can you see what I've done? And then I may close the Bible and go off and start the day. And without even working at it, I kind of have memorized scripture. Transgression speaks to the heart of the ungodly. And then I can just chew on that all through the day. When I'm in a traffic jam, I can meditate on this. If I have a hard time getting to sleep at the end of the day, my head's on the pillow, but I'm tossing and turning, I can review scripture. Because it's if the evil one wants to disturb your sleep, he would much rather let you go and sleep than have you meditate on God's word. This is a valuable thing. And so that's how I read the Bible. I don't read it to get through the Bible. I want to so slow down that the Bible can get through to me. You know what I mean? You can miss out. Now, we say all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. If that's the case, there's no extraneous information in the Bible. Every word is important. So you, you, feast. you don't speed read the Bible. You read it meditatively, reflectively. Then you make it a two-way conversation. Through the Bible, God speaks to us, and then we respond to him. My response was, as you heard, uh, a kind of a prayer that God would help me in overcoming my sinful inclinations because I have the capacity to listen to the voice of transgression. It speaks on the inside to my heart, and I would rather have God. Uh, God's voice be listened to. So I can pray that. I can even pray that for another. Uh, I can praise God for forgiving my transgressions. So the idea uh, is not to get through the Bible. It's to let it get through to you. Hebrews says it has a quality to it. It's like a living, dynamic thing. Meaning when you think you're reading the Bible, that's not really true. It is, in effect, reading you. And therefore, you want to slow down and listen to what it has to say. So that's what, thanks, Diane, for letting me use your brand new Bible. Okay, I'll look. Do you have, do you have recipes in it? Oh, look, oh, you underlined. Oh, okay, that's proof. Boy. Yeah, okay, that's good. Hey, Diane, I just want to tell you something. You don't have to prove this to me. You don't have to prove it to me. You know, I'm, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that's, good. pray for Diane. She needs, she needs to make more use of that Bible. So, uh, can you get an idea? Chew on the words, chew on the words. And then there's something else. I've handed this out before, but I'll do it again. I brought a bunch of copies of these. Some are up front, some are in the back tables. It's a chart. All it is is a chart of the 66 books of the Bible. We'll start at Genesis, finish at Revelation, and each little box uh, corresponds to a chapter in the Bible. So if there are 50-some-odd chapters in Genesis, you'll, you'll see 50 boxes. They're numbered, box one, two, three, all that kind of stuff. 
And I'll tell you why I did this. I designed it because I wasn't succeeding with Bible reading plans because they're date sensitive. They'll give you a date. So like today is the 26th of May. There'll be readings for you to do. But if you happen to miss the 26th, oh my goodness, you have twice as much to read tomorrow. (gasps) If you miss two days in a row, you're sunk on day three. You'll need hours to catch up. And so I kind of felt like a failure. So I gave up on the whole thing. No Bible reading whatsoever. If I can't succeed, I'm not doing it. So I came up with this this uh, method, which is fail-proof, because it's not tied to any date. You just pick it up and use it when you want to, and anywhere you want to. You don't have to start at Genesis. The only rule I would suggest is whatever book you start at, make sure you start at chapter 1 of the book, because that's how God gave us Scripture in books, beginning, middle, and end. You can't get the flow unless you start at the beginning of whatever book. So let's say I'm going to start at Numbers, let's say and I read Numbers 1 today, I'll just fill it in or check it or color code it, something like that, and I'll continue all the way through Numbers. I might might read three chapters in Numbers in one sitting. On another day, maybe just a half a chapter because I'm busy. Well, then I just put sort of like a diagonal line in it so I know I have the other half of the box to complete. When I finish Numbers, I don't necessarily go into the next book. Maybe I need a change from the Old Testament when I can bounce into one of the New Testament books. Or between, uh, between books, maybe I want to read the Psalms. There are 150 Psalms. Maybe I don't want to read all 150 in one in a row, so maybe I want to read five or, or ten psalms and bounce into another book of the Bible. The beauty of doing it this way is um, you'll see progress. You, you will see uh, how you are exposing yourself to Scripture. Every book, even Second Chronicles, even obscure books you'd never go to, they will loom large as being unchecked uh, until you check it. And then what a rewarding, do you have your sheet with you? So, see, our sister here showed me this last week, and I was really encouraged about it. Do you mind if I do this? No. It's too late now. <laughs> look, look, look. You, you see how, how, she, how she is doing hers? That's kind of encouraging. Look at all the yellow. That's stuff she's already read. I'll, and maybe for the first time. I, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible for us to not know whether we've actually read all of the Bible. We, we don't. I mean, do, do we really know that? There's some... There's some little obscure books in there. So this is how she does it. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. A plus. A plus. So help yourself to these things. And if you'd like it electronically, some have asked for that, I can send it to you. I can uh, just ask me to. I'll email it to you, and you can make as many copies of it as you'd like. Anyway, um, some helps in doing what James said. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear the, the Scripture. And then it goes on to say, slow to speak. What does that mean? Well, um, I think it means two things. One, be, be cautious about impulsively rendering judgment on what you're reading. You're reading the Word of God. You sit under it. <laughs> it judges you. You don't judge it. So be, be quick, be slow to speak out against it. And second, uh, I think it means be slow to communicate it as a teacher. God has called a number to communicate biblical truth in, in a formal fashion, but don't take it lightly. Let not many of you be teachers, it says elsewhere in the scriptures. Why? Well, because it's God's word, and, 
and there's an onus of responsibility. I don't want to discourage anyone from communicating God's word, but just don't take it lightly. And then the third thing it says is to be slow to anger. Remember, um, and James says in verse 20, it's because the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. Remember, these are a persecuted group of people to whom James is writing. They would have felt a tendency, don't you think, to seek revenge against those who persecuted them. They might have wanted to retaliate. And James says, don't do it. This is not the stuff of God. Does the Bible outlaw anger? No, it does not. Uh, there, there is a kind of a righteous indignation and anger. I hope you're angry about, um, about babies not getting a chance to live. I hope you're angry about how we have distorted God's idea of marriage. Yeah, I hope you're angry. Uh, I, uh, not at people. I didn't say that. But about the whole idea, the drift, the distortion of what God considers to be a holy matrimony. Now we call all kinds of relationships marriage when, in fact, they're not marriage at all. There are certain things that ought to get you lathered up because... God does. What this is outlawing is the kind of anger that's self-seeking, and that's about one's personal, personal interest in getting what he wants. That's, that's not acceptable here. And so uh, James says three things with regard to the word of God. One, be quick to hear it, be slow to speak out against it, and also be, be slow about getting angry. What do you do when the Bible puts its finger on a sin area in your life? Well, I think James is saying, well, don't be angry about that. That's a loving God trying to help you to get out of your sin area. That's why he's pointing it out. Now, folks, I think what I shared with you is an accurate application based upon the context. The context has to do with a right response to the word of God. But now I want to broaden the application, which is legitimate, and take it not so much from our response to the word of God, but our response to one another's words. In other words, I think verse 19 gives us three really wonderful principles with regard to um, good communication with one another. And you and I know a lot can be lost in communication, bad communication. So I have this kind of humorous story. I don't know if it's true, but it's funny about how communication can really go crazy. And here's what happens. There's a lady, a proper, dignified kind of lady. She lives in another state, but she wants to vacation in Texas. And so she contacted a campground, and she wanted information about it. And so she set out to write a letter to the campground director to get some information. And so, in particular, she wanted to know if it was fully equipped. Did it have toilet facilities? But she struggled with the word, even writing out the word. She was a proper lady in the letter. She couldn't even, she couldn't write it out. She thought, what am I going to do? I'm, I, I want to know, but I, but I don't want to write this out. And she thought, I know. Uh, she chose to use a more old-fashioned expression, bathroom commode. She thought that will kind of soften things. But even as she tried to write bathroom commode, it just offended her. She couldn't, she couldn't do it. So she came up with this idea. I know, said she, I'll abbreviate it. I'll refer to it as the B.C. And this sort of settled the matter for her. And so after giving it uh, much thought, she wrote a letter with B.C. inquiring, does the campground have its own B.C.? And the campground director received it, and he read the letter. He was quite confused. He didn't really know what she meant in referring to B.C. And then he decided, oh, she's probably asking about the location of the nearest 
Baptist church. That's what she means. So he sat down and he wrote this letter in response to hers. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the camp and is capable of seating 250 people. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a whole day of it. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper planned to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the B.C. so everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I can go with you the first time. I can sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. So you see, words can get us in trouble and we need a little help. And so the master communicator has given us three very practical helps. Be, slow, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So uh, I want to demonstrate to you a little technique that anyone here can practice and develop so as to uh, be a better listener. So the first part of James' directive is to be uh, quick to hear. So he's speaking not about speaking in this case, but about listening the art and the discipline of listening. It could be perfected. So I want to demonstrate it to you. So for this, um, I need a volunteer. Is there someone? This won't hurt you too much. Uh, just a little bit. I just want to, you know what I like to do? Hey, John, come here. John's my neighbor. He used to be my neighbor. He's moving out now. This is John. And because John's a good guy and uh, I would like to mess with John. And I know I got you last time. This is John. Look, we're all the same. So, um, John, here's what we're going to do. There, there's a little scenario. You, you and I, let's say, are on an airplane. We're, we're flying somewhere. So we're seated next to each other. And you're, you're a man of God. And you, you would like to engage me in some sort of conversation. And so you're going to begin just by asking non-threatening, you know, getting to know you questions. And I'm reading a magazine, as most people are prone to do on an, on an airplane. And then I would like you all to just watch how I respond to John's uh, questions. Oh. Yeah, it's this way. <laughs> so, so just go ahead. Just, uh, just ask. What are you? So do you read the Bible? Um. Sometimes. Sometimes. How often? Varies. Hey, John? John is a lawyer. Look at a speechless lawyer. It is not working. I don't charge by the word. <laughs> by the letter. By the letter. 
So where are you going? Uh, Chicago. Oh, what's going on in Chicago? Work. What kind of work you do? Varies. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. So, <laughs> so, so I answered all of John's questions, did I not? But not much more. I satisfied the requirements of social protocol. You asked and I answered. Now let's redo this. It's another person, same conversation. Watch how, in contrast, this person now responds. So see if you can remember the same kinds of questions. And so where are you going? Uh, I'm going to uh, Chicago. I have mixed emotions about it. I'll tell you why. I used to live there. My children were born there. And as a result, I have fond memories. In fact, I plan on going by the hospital in which they were birthed just to reflect on that. But also bad memories because I had a job there. And I was falsely accused of something there. And I lost my job. And as a result, I have felt terrible. I have felt inadequate ever since. In fact, I have trust issues. I really can't see myself trusting anyone again. And so that's what I mean when I say I have mixed emotions. Wow, so how many kids do you have? Well, um, I have three that I, that I know of. And so, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so look, the two situations were entirely different, though the questions were the same. In the first case, again, the person answered the questions, but volunteered nothing more. In the second, the person volunteered all kinds of, let's call it, free information. Now, if John, if John was a good listener, uh, John would want to tap into some of the free information I volunteered and base his next question on what I shared. So what might you ask based upon what the second person said? Well, I was focusing on the children because that was the positive memories. Now, that's good. That is really, really good. So John heard uh, this person express... uh, joy over the children, and John was going to focus on that. Thank you, brother. That was wonderful. Not bad for an attorney. (laughs) Not bad. So, (laughs) it's great. Thank you, brother. Um, So, here's the deal. Uh, The art of communication is really not speaking. Uh, Someone said, that's why God has, it's listening. That's why God has given us two ears and only one tongue. He wants us to listen twice as much as we speak. The art of good, healthy, meaningful communication is really listening. Because if you think about it, listening is caring. I'll give you an illustration of of how this is the case. I used to work with an organization called Jews for Jesus in Chicago, by the way. And we rented a storefront on a main street. And we had Bible study there every Tuesday night. We had a big sign. Bible study tonight, all welcome even doubters and debaters. We would just invite anyone to come and let's go for it. So I led the Bible study one night, and at the end we had kind of a light refreshment in the back of the room, time for interaction. And so uh, a young man who I knew came back, and uh, his name was Mark, and I simply said to him, Mark, how are you? He said, not very good. Now that's kind of free information, Because he could do like most of us. We could say, fine, when we're really not fine. 
But Mark volunteered some free information. He said, not very good. Now, if I was really listening to what Mark said, what might I, I then have asked him? What's going on? By the way, you just discovered the art of professional counseling. That's what we do. A good counselor does not have an agenda for the session. A good counselor lets the client set the agenda by listening to free information and then tapping into it. Because what the client is volunteering, that's really vital material to tap into. So I I did just as you suggest. I said, Mark, what's going on? And he said, well, I just heard that my parents are getting a divorce. Lots of free information. What's a follow-up question if you were really listening? You might ask then. What do you think, Mona? That's a good one. That's the classic counselor question. How do you feel about it? I I didn't ask that one. Uh, That would have been a better one. I said, did you, was this a surprise to you? It doesn't matter Any question that's connected to the free information will make for good communication. For instance, if Mark said to me, I'm not doing very well, and I said, yeah, how about them strows? I just just steamrolled right over his free information. Sometimes that's what happens. In fact, sometimes in communication, uh, someone called it dialogues of the deaf. One person, they're both talking, but one is not hearing what the other one is saying. And so uh, that's a good question. I asked him, was this a surprise to you? And he shared, yes, I didn't see it coming. And, And I'm pursuing the conversation. Well, then a lady came back. She wanted to speak with me. She was a regular attender. But she had to get through Mark first. You know, this is just social protocol. She knew him, so she said, she said the same thing I did. Hi, Mark. How are you? He gave the same answer. Not very well. And her response was, oh, that's too bad. I'll pray for you. And then she said, oh, Stuart. She went right past his hurt feelings and free information under the guise of prayer. Maybe she will pray for him. Maybe she won't. But at the time, she was maybe the answer to prayer if she listened to his hurt heart, but she had her own interest in talking to me about something. I could see his countenance fall. Now, here's what happens if you don't tap into someone's free information. If you do that two, three, or more times, they will cease to volunteer it to you. That's what usually makes for miscommunication in a family. Sometimes fathers lament, my son, my daughter won't speak to me anymore. And there's a lot of reasons. Don't let me oversimplify it. But sometimes it's because you haven't listened to what they've shared, especially if you're a dad. Dads, we have a tendency to go into fix-it mode. We want to fix the problems our children have. Nothing wrong with that. We want to advise, counsel, direct, recommend. We want to do that. But sometimes what the, the, uh, our child is asking for is relationship, not a fix to their problems. They just want to know that we're hearing them. And so if you move too quickly into preaching mode, you probably have not heard their free information You haven't validated it, and they won't share with you anymore. That's why this directive says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Really, you shouldn't jump into advice-giving mode right away with anyone. It's a privilege you have to earn. 
you win the person's heart, and then you can get away with murder and speaking into their lives about tough things you may have to say. But first, it says, be quick to hear. So someone is sharing with you, for instance, a high schooler comes home from school, young gal, she's crying, and she says, I'm never going back to school again. And dad goes into preaching mode, oh, yes, you are over my dead body. And uh, he doesn't tap into what's going on. He, he could have said, well, what happened to you today? Well, she's wearing some, I don't know, brand new outfit, and they're serving tomato soup in the cafeteria, and she spills it on her, and she's sitting right ex- next to this guy she has an interest in, and everybody erupts in laughter, and she's humiliated. And she doesn't really mean she's never going back to school again. She just means she's been humiliated, and she's hurt, and she needs a break. And if the dad goes too quickly into preaching, when I was a kid, we used to walk through the snow barefoot three miles. Going to school was a privilege. You know, all this kind of Dads are prone to do that kind of stuff. Well, you do that too much, and that little girl is not coming to you anymore with her free information. You are not quick to hear. Uh, You are quick to speak. To be quick to hear in that situation would be to say, it looks like you had a really rough day. Then you say, what happened? And she will say, I don't want to talk about it. She does. She wants to know if you love her enough to listen so you have to say, yeah, no, no, please tell me. I know something went on today. Oh, it's nothing. It is something. It's upset you. Tell me about it. Okay, about the third time she knows you're interested enough and she will volunteer free information. Now, if all you do is tap into someone's free information and do not volunteer anything back, you won't develop a relationship that's one-sided. So in addition to free information, you should add something called self-disclosure. Start telling that person a little bit about yourself and your connection to their particular problem. You can say something similar happened to me when I was your age, something like that. I'll tell you what that does. It makes the person who just volunteered free information to you not feel so vulnerable and at risk. If you have the goods on them, and they, they have nothing on you. They think you're above it all. You're just like some superhuman. They will cease to share with you things. And therefore, you want to do a little self-disclosure. I didn't say share things that uh, is a little too much to share. Just a little something to reveal your humanity and to reveal your, your understanding of what that person is going through. So free information, self-disclosure, that's what James is counseling. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak. If you're too quick to speak, then maybe this characterizes you. This is what someone said. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. Folks, before we go into action, (laughs) you have to really, really be quick to hear. It's the art of counseling, but beyond that, it's the art of relationship development because that kind of listening is loving, Listening is loving. Think of it that way. Listening is loving. When you listen to someone, you're not preaching at them. You're not directing, recommending, or advising. You're just listening. You're validating what their struggle is. You're nodding your head. And you're making eye contact. Eye contact. You're putting your phone down. You're not being distracted. You're making, when you do that, you are validating that person's issues. 
You haven't weighed in on them at all yet because you're being quick to hear, slow to speak. Then at a certain point, when you feel it's timely, you surely can and ought to speak for sure. But first, it's the art and discipline of listening. Now, anyone can perfect it by doing just what I just showed you not, uh, in, the, in the role play with John. Thank you, John. Um, almost no one will be like the first person John spoke to. That is withholding of free information. Why do I say that? Because every one of us has something called recognition hunger. Even more than physical hunger, we will shrivel up and die psychologically if we are unknown, if we feel unknown by the rest of the crowd. If we feel lost in the fray, lost in the crowd, unrecognized, we will shrivel up. That's why people sometimes misbehave, even commit horrific evil deeds because some recognition, albeit negative, is better than none at all. And so the odd young person out who wasn't athletic, didn't fit in with anyone, had no date for the prom, was bullied and made fun of, gets a gun and goes into a school and shoots at random. What is the payoff? You say, what is the payoff? Again, I don't want to simplify, but sometimes it's recognition hunger because some attention is better than none at all. Experiments have been done even with babies in institutions and babies who are not held regularly, their maturation is is um, is impeded. They don't grow physically. They thrive just with touch, just with nurture, just with recognition, and it's no different for we adults. Therefore, if you really want to love somebody, listen to them. Listen for their free information. Sometimes the free information is non-verbally communicated. For instance, you say to someone in church, how are you? I'm okay. The way that was expressed reveals to you they're not okay. That's free information. You can tap into it and you could say, are you sure? Yeah, I'm all right. It doesn't sound like you're all right. Would you be willing to tell me what's going on? You have tapped into their free information, and most people will share with you because most of us are really dying emotionally for lack of recognition, recognition hunger. So listening is giving. Even more important than financial giving, if you really want to make a deposit in one another's lives, we have to listen to each other's free information, then do a little self-disclosure. That's how relationships develop. That is exactly what James is telling us here. What psychologists have come upon is simply something James told us about 2,000 years ago. James said, uh, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. So um, as we uh, come to a close, I want to share with you, this is a true story. It was shared by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of our great uh, presidents, who became suspicious about whether in receiving lines and things like that at the White House, people were really listening to what he had to say. So there was a social function at the White House. This is a true story. And there's a lineup of people waiting to 
shake the president's hand, and he decided to test things out. And so as people came by to shake his hand, he would say to them in a quiet voice, I murdered my grandmother this morning. That's what he would say. I murdered my grandmother this morning. People would respond with comments like, oh, how lovely, or keep up the good work, Mr. President. Until one person came by as a foreign diplomat, and when the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat said, and I'm sure she had it coming. So, <laughs> so one person, one person actually listened to what the president had to say. Folks, let's go to work here in this church and in our families and so on at becoming uh, better listeners. Remember, two ears, only one tongue. We should be listening at least twice as much as we are speaking. Uh, This is what our attitude should be towards God's word. This is what our approach should be even to the words we hear from one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for listening to us. It's the privilege called prayer. You're not too busy. You're not overwhelmed nor distracted, and you're not quickly moved to anger by anything we say. Your listener, what a privilege. Help us to do the same. And, oh, God, as you are so quick to hear our words, would you put it within us to be just as quick to hear your word, to be students of your word, to read it, to reflect on it, to study it, and to obey it. Thank you, oh, God, for your interest in communicating with us. Thank you for tapping into our free information and using your words using your words specifically designed to address our needs. Thank you for your interest in communion and relationship. You communicate with us through your word. We communicate back to you in prayer, and that develops a wonderful, wonderful dialogue on into eternity. We're grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you, folks. Uh, Help yourself to the baby bottles if you would like to contribute Uh, to the cause, and we will see you next week, Lord willing.